The following program is being brought to you on the World Talk Radio Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit worldtalkradio.com. The World Talk Radio Network, where the world comes to talk. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the World Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. You're listening to Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with hosts Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany. Be the Star You Are is a 501c3 nonprofit corporation to improve literacy and positive media. All contributions and donations are tax deductible. To comment on today's show, please call in toll free at 1 866 613 1612. That's 1 866 613 1612. Or send an email to info at be the star you are.org. Now back to Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with the Oprah of the Airwaves, Cynthia Bryan. Be the star you are. Hey, it's Heather Brittany, and I'm hoping Cynthia just checked it, because it looks like she might have dropped off with us today. Um, so I'll just get started today with our tea for two. Um, today we're talking all about parenting and how to break away from when parent control, making that progression of when you're adults, when you've established yourself, and trying to break free from the uh, rules and set regulations that might have been established as a child. For example, when you're younger and every Sunday your parents say, you know, we have to eat together as a family meal, and we're all about uh, family planning with everything. I think that's fantastic. But as you grow into your adulthood, and if you're still in a living area where you're in close recognition of your parents, um, where possibly you still do these weekly dinners, sometimes it's hard to establish yourself in your own right. So we want to talk today about the communication um, to have with your parents about trying to establish yourself. Exactly. I'm here. Cynthia Bryan is here now. And I'm, I'm glad, Heather, that you started off with Family Matters because... We want to make sure that uh, that whether it's your choice of a partner or lifestyle or religion or your place to live, that, you know, any criticism or threats or any of that that you get from your family, that you can grow up and grow out and grow in. So that's what Family Matters is going to be about today. But I also I wanted to throw in what we're also going to be talking about today is in our second segment, we have Michael Thomas Berry joining us with final resting places, Orange County's Dead and Famous. So it is really a fun book, going through a walk through the graveyards. And in our final segment uh, today, we're going to be Snooze or Lose, How to Maximize Your Health by Getting Your Sufficient Z's. So we want you to sit back, relax, and remember to be the star you are. I wanted to say the miracle moment is if we did all the things we were capable of doing, we literally would astound ourselves. That was Thomas Edison. (laughs) (laughs) So let's get back to family um, matters, Heather, and how we can really move on when we're an adult, whether we're, you know, just getting out of college or we're working or we've married. And we, you know, we want to grow up and we want to be close to our family, but we don't want them to rule our lives. What are some of the things we can do? Well, exactly. So how to talk to your parents so your parents will listen. So most of us know that sometimes talking with your parents, things don't exactly go smoothly, but every time we talk to them, it's a great opportunity. We always say there's never 
me working um, in reproductive care, I always say that there's never a missed opportunity to talk with your kids about health or sexual health. So it's kind of finding the right times um, to talk to your parents. So here's some kind of guidelines. One, be clear and be direct. Be as clear as you can about what you feel and what you want. And give details to your parents so that they understand, <clears throat> excuse me, understand your situation and they can better listen to me more helpful and understanding. Also, be honest. If you're trying to be honest with your parents, you know, honesty is the best policy. Uh, when you just get it all out in the open right there, then you don't have to backtrack. You don't have to say, well, you know, I didn't feel comfortable telling you this in the beginning. Also, try to understand their point of view. Um, sometimes we get really caught up in how we feel about it. And sometimes, you know, parents have a hard time, you know, letting go. Or you have to remember that you are their child. So sometimes, you know, when you have um, these ideas or concepts, so they might be right for you, your parents, you know, do have an inclination of what truly is right or wrong. So let, you know, let the understanding um, of their viewpoints as well. And, you know, oh, I so, want to just jump in there to say something about how to change your conversation sometimes. I, I know that what happens a lot is, and being a parent, you're always a parent. And so, you know, you might tend to be with, uh, like I, I can be with my mom, and she'll tell me to sit up straight or comb my hair, and my gosh, I've been out of the house for all uh-huh. these years. So I think when you're, um, when you're with, with family is change your conversation, too, to be more like conversations that you would want to have with friends. So don't limit your conversations to family memories or just family questions or personal life things. You know, treat them more like a friend now because you're adults. You're not kids anymore. Exactly. And that's one thing, too. Don't, don't try to argue or whine. If you're trying to be considered as an adult, and this goes for an 18-year-old or a 48-year-old, using a tone that's friendly and respectful makes it more likely that your parents are going to listen. And we know this in any kind of daily situation. You know, when you're at the bank or the grocery, if there's ever any time where, you know, there's ever some kind of disagreement, you get more um, when you talk with someone, you know, in a, in a pleasant tone, trying to establish what you're trying to achieve in the conversation. Then when you yell or you complain, uh, people play off the other people's reactions. So, it's and, you know, like, with that, too, if your parents uh, say something or a family member says something that really annoys you, instead of reacting and getting angry with them, ignore it and move on and change the subject like you would if you were in a conversation, again, with somebody who was a friend. You know, unless it's something that is really repulsive or has been happening a lot and you want to call them on it. And, and then just, again, as you said, be honest and say, look, it, I don't like it when you talk to me this way. Um, and be real clear about what your intention is. Otherwise, kind of ignore it because otherwise you go right back into the being a child again if you if you start you know whining about the way they're treating you. Exactly. And I think don't make it personal. Remember, you are upset with the idea or the concept, not exactly the person. So, for example, saying you know your mom wants you to always you know come every Sunday for dinner, and now you have your own family. You have other prior arrangements. Remember, you're not mad at your mother for that. You're mad at this, you know, this, in a sense, this lock on your schedule of not allowing you to be. So when you're trying to... That's such your- a great example, Heather, because I think that's a great example to be very clear. I know a lot of people who feel obligated that they have to spend, you know, one particular day a week with their parents or with 
their siblings or whatever it is because it's expected. Well, if that doesn't work for you, just say, you know, be again, be clear. Let them know that doesn't work for you. You know, maybe we'll have to do it twice a month or choose something that is going to be, um, that'll be good for the relationship but doesn't put you into that role of being just a submissive child. Exactly. And again, with trying to get your, are you your point across, avoid um, putting down your parents' ideas or beliefs. So instead of saying, you know, I think it's a stupid idea that we have to meet every Sunday, say, I don't really agree that we have to meet every Sunday, and here's why. And then offer your case, because now I work early on Mondays, and it's hard for me to go here, or I have something. And use I statements when communicating how you feel about something. Instead of using, you do this, you do that, say, since I, you know, for example, since I have a job now, it's really hard for me to come and do this. Instead of, don't you see that I have a job and you don't understand this? It's always kind of taking yourself as, a, as the responsibility for things and, you know, sharing in that value with that. And you have to, you know, with people always understand that it's, it's difficult um, for parents uh, to, you know, want to let go of theirs or to kind of break that, break any um, preset rules. That's something that we've always discussed is that before you're a, a friend, you're a parent first. And then as people grow on, you know, a lot of times the kids become parents. Everyone breaks away and begins to have um, their own families as well. So it's also choosing the right times. If you want your message to be heard, choose a good time to talk. Don't well, that do is a this. really good one. Don't do it in the heat of an argument or something. Exactly. And that's, you know, a good thing of saying, you know, I'm going to keep using this example of a dinner thing. Um, say instead of it being when you're on your way to dinner or while they're cooking, or a good thing to say is, you know, call that person or in-person saying, is it a good time? I need, there's something I need to discuss with you. Is this a good time to talk? You know, if you see they're visibly busy with something or if it isn't, it's all about the delivery. So if, someone, if they have a million things going and they're frazzled, it's going to fall on lost ears. So make sure when you want to talk with them that it's a time that can be set aside just for you and that other person. And you know um, what I think so interesting about family relationships is how often that we can have really close-knit families, whether, uh, you know, with your siblings and your parents and your cousins and your aunts and uncles when you're younger. And then as you grow older, you find that you get different interests, you grow apart, perhaps you've moved apart from one another. And the same family members, if they weren't family members, you really wouldn't be friends with them. You know, you probably wouldn't associate with them anymore. And I'm not saying that as a general rule. I'm just saying that that happens. So I, what ha- in this instance, I think it's very, very important to um, treat your parents and your siblings and your relatives as if, as if they were from a family that you care about deeply, but they're not your own family. In other words, you don't feel like you owe them anything. You just need to be yourself with them. So, you know, that way you won't be drawn into all the family squabbles and if somebody starts complaining about or, or gossiping about somebody in the family, you can just politely say, you know, I'm really sorry. I just don't want to. I don't want to hear that. It's it's of no interest to me. That's their own business. And, and that's something all, really also really interesting with just the dynamics of family. I we talk about a lot of how with friends sometimes you get in fights. You know, you say, you know, I hate you, and that's the end. You may not talk to that friend months. You're, it may be the end of a relationship. But it's interesting with family members, a lot of times we can use those very strong words, but because they're family, we forgive a lot easily. I remember 
as a kid, you know, fighting with my brother. You know, I hate you. I know. And then 10 minutes later, it's like, so what do you want to do today? Yeah. Um, you know, that's just how that thing of family, you're more forgiving. And also with that concept of you're forgiving with your family, sometimes when there are difficult things, it's hard. You play off your emotions. You're afraid. That I always feel the people you love the most are also the people you hurt the most. We know as kids, the worst thing you can hear from your family, your parents is, I'm not mad at you. I'm just disappointed. And mm-hmm. that hearing yeah, that hurts them, more than anything, doesn't it? Exactly, and it's because their their point of view means the most of you. If it's your friend, it's that thing of friends and come and go, but your family is forever, that kind of concept. And now, of course, there's always, there's always if ands, and buts with every kind of statement like that, but just generalizing. So one thing, too, is that if you have something important, if it's beyond, you know, just the coming to dinner, if it's something regarding, you know, something in your life, a relationship, or, you know, maybe you've gotten yourself into some kind of legal or some kind of trouble or something, you need to discuss a very personal and important uh, topic with your parents. Play, don't just play up your emotions of, I don't think I can tell them because they'll be so upset. Understand, you know, it's the thing of these people have maintained in your life um, forever. It's all just picking your delivery time. So, Instead of letting those feelings stop you from talking to them, put them into the words of your conversation, saying, you know, I need to tell you something, but I'm really afraid you might be disappointed. You know, try to create a safe ground for yourself as well that, you know, I need to talk about talk to you about something, but I'm afraid it might be kind of embarrassing and, you know, I need I need you to tell me, you know, that you're you're not going to think less of me. Something that you can create a boundary. And for the most part, people, and especially your parents, because they want to be that first person that you come to. It's, I think it's all parents, once as happy as they are when the kids leave the house and they have this emptiness, there's also this great fear that now their child is an adult, that there's that feeling that they, don't, that they aren't needed anymore for guidance, for advice. And um, it comes with part of the territory that eventually those kids become adults who come parents who repeat this cycle. Um, so it's creating that balance, you know, talking with your parents, um, you know, to kind of separate yourself as an individual, but just make sure you always have that clear and common ground. And as we get back to it again, I keep using the example about the dinner thing of feeling that obligatory. Um, if you just know how, you know, establishing from the get-go good communications with your parents and letting, you know, if it's some, you don't want something to build up to be that sock on the floor, that the littlest thing upsets you, that, you know, you may be really upset that they don't seem to get it when you say, I can't come for Sunday dinners and they don't seem to get it, that you're going to get mad about something completely different. So make sure... Well, I have a couple of exercises that yeah. people can do that might be helpful, too, um, in just setting the boundaries and, and, you know, getting a real honest reflection of what the internal dynamics are behind any struggles with families. And, you know, we use this actually in, uh, in acting classes a lot, too. But the first thing to do would be to make a list of any of your relatives that you may be having any issues with. That way that you can identify who do we really need to talk to. And then um, do a mirror exercise with, uh, first you can do it with yourself, and then you can do it with a friend, and that is, you know, look in the mirror and talk to that person, although you're talking to yourself, and <laughs> ask them if you're having an inter- interaction with that person. And see how you respond. See your facial expressions because it's like putting yourself on video. You know, how are you relating to them? 
And then after you've done that, talk with a friend, a trusted friend or a family member before you actually confront somebody to relate, you know, how it is that you're doing. And I would say, Heather, too, is practice treating yourself the way that you want to be treated because, you know, we teach people how to treat us. So if you don't want to be treated, you know, in a negative way, let's treat ourselves with kindness. And then learn a few new skills, just like what we're talking about now. Perhaps you need to learn not to take what is said too seriously. Maybe you have to learn how to set boundaries. Maybe you need to know how to manage your anger. Uh, make a list of the skills that you want. You can read a book. You can see a therapist. You can go to a class, whatever it is. So give out the website because we are coming to the end of our segment, and we hope that everyone has great family relationships. Most definitely. We want you to go to BeTheStarYouAre.org, BeTheStarYouAre.com, MySpace.com, forward slash Harmony Clutches, both with a K. And just remember, no matter what you have going on, family does matter. So make it work. When we return from break, author and historian Michael Thomas Berry will take us to find final resting places of Orange County's dead and famous you're listening to Cynthia Bryan. And Heather Bittany. And this is Star Style. Be the star you are. We'll be right back. Listen. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Apathy, violence, and negative messages are everyday occurrences in our country. You can be a changemaker when you dare to care by supporting Be The Star You Are Charity, a 501c3 that empowers women, families, and youth through improved literacy, positive media, and tools for living. Visit www.bethestarur.org to find out how you can make a difference in our world. Everyone counts. That web address again is www.bethestarur.org. Be the star you are.org. Are you living your dreams? Want to create a life you love but don't know how to begin? Lifestyle coach and personal growth expert Cynthia Bryan has jump-started the lives and careers of clients for over two decades with her signature star style consultations with personalized sessions by phone or in person. You'll turn your passions into profits. Visit www.cynthiabryan.com or call 925-377-STAR. That's cynthiabryan.com or call 925-377-7827. Cynthia Bryan is your guide on the side. CynthiaBryan.com. You can be the star you are. You're listening to the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. You're listening to Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with hosts Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany. Be the Star You Are is a 501c3 nonprofit corporation to improve literacy and positive media. All contributions and donations are tax deductible. To comment on today's show, please call in toll-free at 1-866-613-1612. 
That's 1-866-613-1612. Or send an email to info at bethestarur.org. Now back to Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with the Oprah of the Airwaves, Cynthia Bryan. Be the star you are. With us right here where the world comes to talk and listen. We have been broadcasting live and interviewing fascinating authors and guests since 1998. And I am your host and personal growth expert, Cynthia Bryan. Well, today we're going to the grave. We're going to be all on a walking tour of the 20 historic cemeteries of Orange County, California, where the famous and the infamous are buried. Michael Thomas Berry is a lover of history, and he is celebrating life with the publication of his really fun and interesting new book, Final Resting Places, Orange County's Dead and Famous. Welcome, Michael, to Be the Star You Are. Well, thank you, Cynthia, for having me today. Uh, I look forward to talking to you with all about the uh, interesting celebrities that have, are permanently calling Orange County home. Well, you know, it was such an interesting read, this book. First of all, that quote that you put in your introduction that you found on a grave just gave me pause. That said, from where you stand now, I once stood, and from where I am now, you will one day be. It gave me chills all over, uh, Michael, because I thought it made me just really realize that no matter who we are, or what we've accomplished in life, we're all going to meet the same fate. We're all going to end up in one of these places. It's it's really true. Uh, that's you know, going to the, the the cemeteries and such like that. You know, the intention in writing this book was to you know celebrate life. It wasn't a any it, obviously the end result was you know death and dying and such. But I wanted to celebrate the lives of these people that did contribute significant uh, things to either the county of Orange, the state of California, and even the United States in general, from you know, celebrities to politicians to sports people to all sorts of, uh, of, of different uh, personalities. Well, before so, we um, get into the different personalities, and I had no idea that there were so many. Obviously, everybody knows John Wayne, because if you even fly to Orange County, it's John Wayne Airport, you know, so he's probably one of the more celebrated people. But there were a few, uh, a few kind of famous criminals and the pioneers and all of that. But what I found also very interesting is how you came to write the book. It was almost uh, meant to be because a, a card fell out of a book that was a sort of a signal to you that it said on it uh, that, that, that Schiffer Publishers was looking for authors. Yeah, that's correct. It was a, it was a very interesting story. And I, how we end up doing what we're doing is one of those, you know, uh, our road to our careers. How does yeah. that going? And you know, I my bachelor's degree was in history. I never thought I'd ever be a writer and author. I like reading and I do all that stuff. So I I thought, well, who's going to give a guy uh, an unknown author an, an opportunity to write a book? You know, and I had this idea. I was kicking it around for a long time and just browsing my local Borders bookstore here in Anaheim Hills. Uh, like lo and behold, this 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 insert falls out of this book. I'm actually, ironically, reading a book on, it was actually a book on Orange County ghost stories, for all things. And um, I, I took it home, and I actually bought the book. I took it home, and I started looking at it, stating, wow, you know, if you have a local history idea, you know, shoot us off an email. And, you know, I thought about it for a while, and I had this idea I'd been kicking around. I had had a list of, you know, celebrities and such, but I thought, well, I don't have an agent. I don't have a publisher. And I sent them an email, and lo and behold, they loved the idea. Giving a guy like me with no writing experience an opportunity is, I am so fortunate. 
Well, see, I, I really thought that this part of your story was so incredibly inspirational because obviously, you know, I, as you said in your book, everybody has a story, but you really had this book to write, and you're an excellent writer, and you brought the lives of the people that lived, you know, to life. I mean, they came back from the grave, and I was so I was excited to get to meet each person. But to think that you needed an agent and you'd have to go through this, you know, huge proposal thing and all of the stuff, and it just happened. So it's sort of like what's meant to be is meant to be. Yeah, you know, we all have those hidden talents. Some people can bring them out, some can't. And But either way, I was given this opportunity to do this, and it's one of those things that I, I, I found a joy in life. And it's like it, it, it's, it's the purpose that I was meant to be was to be a writer, to bring these stories to life, and like I said in the beginning, that my purpose was to tell their story. You know, a lot of them are well-known. John Wayne, for instance, Richard Nixon, Florence Griffiths Joyner. We know their stories. But the most important thing to me was speaking about the people that have been long forgotten but did contribute important things. Yes, and, yes. and then to capsulize their stories into a small, sometimes even just into a paragraph, was difficult. But I found it quite easy, actually, to be honest with you. Uh, so... It's one of those things you're like, oh, my gosh, when you find the thing that you're kind of meant to do, there it, it is. It falls into place. That's correct. So. Well, and the fact that you were a history major, you loved to do research, you loved reading, you loved the historical part of it, all of your background, it's like your whole life was leading up to this. Your whole that, life that, was that, leading up true. to reading the book, uh, and now you're a full-time writer. Well, let's talk about some of these famous people in there. One of them that jumped out to me uh, was um, Jim Morrison's girlfriend, I guess, um, common-law wife, Pamela Susan Corson. That, I thought, I, I really never knew her story before you know, until I read it. That kind of was one of the first people that started me compiling a list of Orange County's, you know, permanent residents was Jim Morrison's uh, common-law wife, girlfriend, uh, whatever you want to call her, was an Orange County resident. She was born and raised here in, in Orange, California, and that's something I never knew. I've I've always been a fan of the Doors and '60s rock and roll, and that uh, that era has always been fascinating to me. But when I found the connection to Orange County, I was like, well, I started digging more, and her parents lived here, and and she is buried at Fairhaven uh, Cemetery in Santa Ana. Uh, I it started. It, it was just that interesting connection, and that's what started me looking, well, who else is buried here other than John Wayne and Richard Nixon? And then the list just started, you know, it was endless. Well, um, and there, it is endless. And, of course, you said that you put in every baseball player that you could because the baseball is such the American dream, the American sport. But there's, there's pioneers in here that you talk about uh, that founded Orange County, that started, like, Tustin, the, the, who started the city of Tustin. I, it, those stories to me were absolutely um, fascinating. I mean, it's just a small little paragraph in here of Columbus Tustin, who was the founder of the, of the city, but how they came to California to strike it rich in the, in the gold rush. And you have several people who were in the Civil War. Right. When, when, when you talk about the pioneers, and, you know, many of your listeners aren't from Orange County or California, they're across the country. You know, when, when you think of the Old West and pioneers, you know, you had the gold rush up north in San Francisco. Not many, you know, Orange County doesn't get a lot of uh, publicity with it. But I wanted to talk about those people that were, you know, 
really uprooted their lives and came to an area where there was really literally nothing and started something, and now where it is today, it's kind of amazing when you drive down you know, the 91 freeway here in Orange County thinking about the ranchos and the yorbas and, the, and, the, and that era with the Spanish land grants. It's like it's hard to imagine that in a modern society today. So I tried to capsulize that when I was writing about you know, their lives, the contributions they made, and these pioneers and the hard lives they had. It was hard. We were talking to author Michael Thomas Berry, and his book is Final Resting Places, Orange County's Dead and Famous. And it's just a fascinating look at the people who settled in Orange County, how Orange County severed from its big sister, Los Angeles, and to make a name of its own. And it's a, a group of not only politicians, but actors and directors and and um, cowboys and musicians, um, as well as sports players. That is so fascinating. But just talking about the ranchos, I had a question. You had a really interesting story here about William McKelvey and Francisco Torres and this murder that happened on one of the ranches. But I guess it's not really known if Francisco Torres actually murdered William McKelvey. But you made a... a a, uh, a statement about that there were racist, um, I guess, thought process in the day. So at that time, though, it was still uh, Mexico. I mean, California was just coming away from being a Mexican territory. So was it was it difficult for the settlers who were there who were still Mexican? You know, I, it was very difficult for them. Um, that story in particular was a very tragic story. Oh, it's um, tragic. It revolves around the. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll tell your listeners quickly the story as quickly as I can. Madame Majeska was a, a famous actress, a Polish actress, turn of the century. They were talking the 1890s. She had a ranch out outside in Orange County here. Her foreman, she wasn't an heir at that time, was murdered by Francisco Torres uh, over a squabble over money. And uh, he was, uh, after a short chase, was arrested and brought, was going to be brought to trial in uh, Santa Ana, Orange County here. And before a trial could be uh, undertaken, he was taken from the jail forcibly and, and lynched. He actually, ironically, the last person that was ever lynched in Orange County. Uh, but the, the, the Times, I tried to explain that, that before he had a trial, he was just summarily executed because he was uh, of, of Mexican descent. They just automatically thought he was guilty. And I wanted to, you know, put that in there, the fact that he was never found guilty. There, there was never a jury trial or anything like that. And I thought it was very tragic. It was and, tragic, and I think that was what was the most interesting. It, it kind of sparked my interest that I needed to look into that period a little more because I never really thought about having any racism between the Mexican population and the, you know, the newer pioneers coming in because it was a Mexican territory. You know, it, it kind of fits to modern day in some ways with it the animosity does. between you know, what's going on now with immigra legal immigration and such and what was going on 120 years ago. This is, it's all relevant. We're, we're not well, learning I, our I, lessons from history like we're supposed to. Right, and, and I think what was so interesting is that the Mexicans were here first. They so were it was their day. land. It was sort of like the Native Americans that we were just moving on in. Well, going back to uh, your book, Final Resting Places, Orange County's Dead and Famous, why don't you tell us some of the, the, the uh, grave sites or 
the um, burial places that you found the most fascinating or maybe the most different? Well, the most fascinating to me was probably the least known here at cemetery here in Orange County is the Yorba Family Cemetery. Not far from where actually I live in Anaheim Hills, uh, Bernardo Yorba, a descendant of uh, Jose Antonio Yorba, was one of the explorers with the Portola Expedition. He was, you know, the Spanish land grant person here in Orange County. Well, he had the big rancho out here, and he has a small family cemetery up in the, the hills here that's surrounded by now modern apartments and whatnot, and you would have no idea it was there, and it was kind of this find that was like, oh my goodness, it's, it's, it's right here, the history's there, nobody knows this, it needs to be out there. And, uh, and then San Juan Capistrano, the mission. Right. Um, everybody thinks like they go to the mission itself, okay, they have a little cemetery in there, but across the freeway is the actual cemetery, because after, the ironic thing with, this, with the missions were, after a certain number of years, they would dig up the bones and move them, to make room for new burials. So they would move these, these bones to across the, across the cemetery on, on a little-known hill, and it was like those type of finds were, to me, amazing. And I had the opportunity to go through those. Uh, very rarely do they give that to the public. They open these cemeteries. So I was very fortunate to be allowed to go in and pay my respects uh, to these people that you know had a very, very difficult lives. Did you, uh, in the, I mean, I don't know how many people were, how many families. I know he had, what, his three, Bernardo's three wives were buried there. Do you know how many graves are actually there of the Yorba family? It's hard to tell because a lot, over the years it was vandalized. Mm. Uh, Orange County eventually took over it and fenced it in, but I think for, you know, well over 75 years, maybe even longer, it was just an open area, and tragically, there are people out there that will desecrate and do those type of things. So the records were very hit or miss uh, 100 years ago. I think my feeling is that they didn't think people were going to care about record keeping. So to, to find out exactly where they are, it's, it, it's almost impossible. How, you know, you talk about record keeping quite a bit throughout the book. How is record keeping today different than it was 100 years ago when these, when these uh, graveyards and cemeteries were being built? There was 150 years ago, even up to 100 years ago, there was, the record keeping was very limited. There would be, they would just dig a grave, put somebody in and say, here a handwritten note in a log somewhere that, yeah, they're, they're buried here. Well, the here was never like, where is here? compared to today where you can have an exact location and you can put your GPS and go right there. Um, so that made it difficult for me at times to go back into the records to look up names that were often misspelled, deleted, or in the fact if you had a, like a criminal, uh, well, where they didn't really care. It was basically just dumped. So it was kind of uh, a sadness in, in, a, in a state, but that made it more difficult for me. But that made me and my detective work that's my other bachelor's in criminal justice come out. So I had the history of criminal wasn't justice. Wasn't it amazing that you were able to use both your degrees? I mean, because right. being a, you know, it was like doing CSI work here, too. You have uh, to be a, a detective, yeah, a literally. A character that was so interesting to me, and I wondered if you ever found out anything, if she, um, you know, post-mortem uh, had a trial or anything, was Effie Scholl, who murdered her two children, and she left this note that her husband was so vile and that would be better that her she and her children were dead and uh, you know in heaven together than 
if he got the children. Was she mentally ill, or was this something I, I, really bad? I can bad only guess she... yes, but, you know, in, we're talking about divorce in 1890, 1880. Which it was very scorned upon. Right. Even up to 20 years ago, people were, you know, oh, my gosh, you're divorced. So it's like I can only imagine what it was at, in the Victorian age for a woman to be branded like that. She had to be very ill, obviously, to you know, injure her children, but thought that, with, for them to have a stigma like this was, you know, a horrible story. But, you know, for me, finding these stories was the amazing part, how I came across these. Sometimes I don't know how I even found these. Right. Yeah, that, this is what I was wondering, because obviously this would be, she would be like a criminal, wouldn't she? I mean, she I would, would think yes, she, she was a murderer. She, she is a criminal. She, she murdered her children. She but, murdered her children, and she tried to commit suicide herself. But yet she has a marked grave there. So did yes. you spend just a lot of time in libraries? you talking to a lot of people? I, I spent a ton of time in the libraries looking through old newspapers. I spent a lot of time at Cal State Fullerton in their uh, uh, photo uh, uh, microfiche, uh, looking for headlines, looking for stories, uh, countless hours doing that. And that's where I found a lot of them. The historic societies were very, very helpful with their files, um, but it, it, like I said, it was a lot of work, a lot of effort went into this, and uh, in the end, I, I'm very pleased with what came out. And, you know, in your conclusion, you, you uh, allude to how we can really learn from the history of the past and the actions of the past. What was the conclusion that you came to after doing all this sleuth work, putting this book together? How do you look at celebrating your own life, and how do you look at, at you know, having, leaving your legacy for posterity. You can't help but think about what I am, what imprint am I leaving on this earth for bettering our, my individual life, my family, society in general. Um, that's the biggest thing to me was, like, what am I contributing to it? And this little book that I had, this idea, I think has contributed to, you know, in a small way to keeping the history of this county alive um, uh, people are very interested in it, but where where I go with this, I have some other opportunities as well to write, but it, it's important to me now to say, you know, we all have that obligation, you know, to ourselves, like I said, to our families or even to our, our neighbors to, you know, live well, to make sure that we do things that aren't, we all can't be John Wayne, we all can't be President of the United States. But so we can be the best we, people we were born to be. We have to find that. You're correct. We have to look for what are we supposed to be doing. Yes, we all have a gift. Well, I want to give out your website, and then let's just give a little plug for what's coming. So your website is michaelthomasberry.com. The name of the book is Final Resting Places, Orange County's Dead and Famous. We have only not even touched the surface. It is just chock full of fascinating, fascinating, in-depth, Stories, lots and lots of pictures. You've done just a remarkable job, Michael. I mean, and it's a fun read. It's not morbid in any way. As you said, it's a celebration of life, and you bring these characters to life. And you are now, though, you, you have a couple of other projects. You're actually going to be doing a book about the lives and final resting place of the Academy Award winners of the Golden Age of Hollywood. That's correct. It is finished, and it is in the editing process with the same publisher, Schiffer Publishing. Uh, that was very exciting for me to write and learn about, you know, the icons of the golden age of Hollywood. It was an idea I, I, after, you know, writing the first book, I thought, well, what else is there out there? What else could make, 
would be exciting to me. And it, learning about their lives was just as exciting because we, we think we know about Joan Crawford, but we don't. I found some stories and such like that, and Judy Garland and all those type of people. That's very interesting, and that'll be coming out early, early next year, right oh, before the award season. You'll so. have to come back with that because that sounds just so exciting, and especially I think people are very, very interested. Well, you know, celebrity is is kind of a new worship, a new religion, <laughs> I think. So. But the yeah, Academy but... Awards is such a big deal and has been such a big deal for almost um, eight, uh, eight decades now. So I think this book will just be amazing. I'm looking forward to reading that one. And then after that, which I haven't written yet, I have a contract to write about the true crime stories of California, which is uh, going to try I'm going to go all the way back as far as I can to the modern age. And that's going to be exciting to me because I love reading about the mystery and crime and, and, and that stuff. Because we're writing the first book here, I found a lot of stories. I thought there's a lot of untold stories out there that just need to be retold. Well, again, talk about using your talents. Here's your criminal justice and your history, and now you have morphed into a full-time writer. Congratulations. Well, go out and pick up a copy of the book, Final Resting Places, Orange County's Dead and Famous, and then put on your walking shoes and go and visit these cemeteries. It is a fascinating experience, and you will come upon personages that you had no idea that were right here in Southern California. Uh, Michael, thank you so much for bringing your book, Final Resting Places, to Star Style, Be the Star You Are. It's been so much fun. Thank you, Cynthia. It was, it was wonderful to speak with you today, and uh, we'll be talking to you soon. And, yes, we'll look forward to your next book, which is going to be Fade to Black, The Lives and Final Resting Places of the Academy Award Winners of the Golden Age of Hollywood. You can visit Michael at his website, michaelthomasberry.com. It's a great site. Everything's there. And, again, pick up the book. Michael, thank you for joining me, and we will be in touch. Stay with us. Don't go to sleep yet, because when I return, we're actually going to be talking about snooze or lose. I'm Cynthia Bryan, and this is Star Style. Be the star you are. Back in a bit. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Business Bites. Here's Cynthia Bryan. Before hiring an employee, do you screen with a background check? Doing a background check to determine any criminal convictions or undisclosed problems can save you aggravation and money down the line. Dishonest employees can cause a great deal of harm to your reputation and to your bottom line. Here are a couple of ways to protect your company. Make sure to verify previous employment and educational degrees that are listed on a resume. If a job involves driving, check with the Department of Motor Vehicles in your area to determine the safety record of the participant. Drug screening has become acceptable and provides a good tool to analyze the risks of any individual being interviewed. Your company can outsource the screening process to a firm that will specialize in personnel screening if you don't have the manpower in-house. It's far better to hire the right person the first time than to make a serious mistake with an employee you will regret. 
Remember, you are the star of your own performance. Turn your passions into profits. I'm Cynthia Bryan with another business bite from Star Style. Visit star-style.com. Are you living your dreams? Want to create a life you love but don't know how to begin? Lifestyle coach and personal growth expert Cynthia Bryan has jump-started the lives and careers of clients for over two decades with her signature Star Style consultations with personalized sessions by phone or in person. You'll turn your passions into profits. Visit www.cynthiabryan.com or call 925-377-STAR. That's cynthiabryan.com or call 925-377-7888. Cynthia Bryan is your guide on the side. www.cynthiabryan.com You can be the star you are. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel where the world comes to listen and talk. You're listening to Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with hosts Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany. Be the Star You Are is a 501c3 nonprofit corporation to improve literacy and positive media. All contributions and donations are tax deductible. To comment on today's show, please call in toll free at 1 866 613 1612. That's 1 866 613 1612. Or send an email to info at be the star you now back to Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with the Oprah of the Airwaves, Cynthia Bryan. Be the star you are. Well, we appreciate you staying with us here on Star Style, Be the Star You Are. I am Cynthia Bryan, and that was so fascinating. This book, Final Resting Places, Orange County's Dead and Famous, is just a terrific, terrific read. You know, it's just so interesting to uh, visit uh, graveyards and cemeteries. I know that whenever I travel, that's one of the first things that I do is I love to go to the graveyard because I, too, was a history major, and I find that, you know, there's like a story that's being told there. So Michael Thomas Berry went a step further, though, and actually did all the research for us. So if you're going to be visiting Orange County, pick up a copy of this book. It can be your guide on the side. Well, you know, I am really, 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 really tired this week. I, I have to tell you, this year has been a whirlwind of activity. And despite my best efforts to get plenty of sleep, there have just been way too many projects for me to get uh, the appropriate number of Zs that, that I need. And it seems that I've been juggling more than ever before. And as a result, you know, I feel a little bit more achy. Maybe I'm not as focused as I normally am, although, you know, I guess I'm fairly focused. Most people, I have a lot of energy, so, but for me, my energy feels down. You know that saying, early to bed, early to rise, makes a man happy, wealthy, and wise? Well, for mine, it's sort of been late to bed, early to rise, you know, makes a woman tired and fried is more how I have felt. But I want to tell you, if you're not getting enough sleep, there are some things you can do to change that bad habit, because if you don't get enough snooze time, you really do lose time. Our body needs seven to nine hours each and every night. And uh, a few years ago when I was writing my book, Be the Star You Are, I had done a lot of research on sleep because I was, I was sort of proud of the fact that I could get away with two or three hours every night and function perfectly well. 
And then it just hit me like a, a wall that that wasn't the way to be. That wasn't really healthy. Um, I felt healthy, but I'm sure it pays. It makes a toll in the long run. So for the last few years, I've been really good, and I've really, really scheduled my time so that I always can get that appropriate number. At the turn of the 20th century, which is the 1900s, the average a person was getting 9.5 hours. Today, Americans get 6.5 hours. So we've lost three hours of our sleep time, and our bodies really have not adjusted. Of course, we were an agrarian society in those days. There wasn't the electricity, a ubiquitous electricity. There weren't 24-hour malls and 24-hour um, uh, superstores open or gas stations or whatever. So people went to bed when the chickens went to bed, and they woke up when the chickens went to be, woke up. We have to get back to a, a clear habit of getting enough rest. If you're older, you might be having trouble falling asleep because just of the, you might be taking a nap in the afternoon or maybe you're not even getting enough exercise. But you might be like me and you just have a to-do list that is so long that even when you put your head on the pillow, your brain keeps working over time. So some people will say, go and take some over-the-counter sleep medications. That's fine for this short term, but that is not the answer. It doesn't solve the issue. It creates more problems. So I want to give you a few things that you can do to improve the quantity and the quality of your sleep because when you get a good night's sleep, you're going to be much more functional the next day and actually for the week. So the first thing is to set a sleep schedule. It's important that you go to bed and get up at the same time every day, even on the weekends. I know that I've been guilty of doing things like, okay, I'll go to bed at 2 or 3, I'm getting up at 6, and then Sundays I'll say, oh, I'm going to sleep till 8. Well, it's, that's really not good for you. So you want to set a time schedule that you can keep to on a regular basis and if one day a week, you know, you have a little bit extra or a little bit less, it'll be okay, but you shouldn't do that on a regular basis. Avoid napping in the late afternoon or the early evening. If you're going to take a nap, make it, you know, like they do in Europe when they have their siestas, do it right after lunch so that your body has time to get tired again. You're going to get out there and get revved up. Wind down before you lay down. And what this means is spend your pre-bedtime each night relaxing. You could read a book, you can listen to soft music, or take a really nice soothing bath. My favorite thing is to take a bath with lots of candles and just sit there and just meditate. And then I usually read for about an hour or more at night. And reading always helps me just go right to sleep. Set the scene. Your bedroom should be a very tranquil place that is for sleeping. You don't want to have your computer in there or your desk or any working things. And sorry, everybody who loves televisions in there, you shouldn't have your televisions in there either because it needs to be an oasis for your sleep and use it for that. Make sure the room is quiet, it's dark, and it's not too hot or too cold. You want to furnish it with whatever type of mattress and pillow and bedding that you find really cozy and comfortable. You need to schedule active time well before bedtime, and that means exercising. 
I've always enjoyed like taking a walk at nighttime or sometimes when, uh, you know, my schedule's so swamped, I'll think, okay, well, now I'll go and get on the treadmill or I'll go on my exercise bike and it's midnight, but that's not a good thing to do because what's happening is that's really revving up your engines instead of letting them cool down. So if you are going to exercise, you want to do it at least three hours before you're going to go to sleep. So again, maybe have your supper and then go out on a brisk walk, which will do two things. It'll eat up the calories and help you digest quicker, and it's giving you a little bit of exercise, and then you can set your downtime, you know, with your book or your music or your television or whatever it is that you want to do to wind down. Expose yourself to daylight during the day. During the day, it's really important to get outside and to get a little bit of that vitamin D every single day. So even if uh, it's, you know, rainy or cold out, you do need to go outside and get some fresh air, and that will help you sleep more. Be mindful about eating and drinking. A light evening snack can help you get a good night's sleep, but eating a large meal near bedtime will keep you awake and will give you indigestion. If you've ever gone out late at nighttime for a late dinner, you'll probably find that's the truth. I know when I was speaking in South America, they don't even go to dinner until 11.30 or 12, but then again, they stay up to 3 or 4 in the morning and their days don't start until noon the next day. So that's a whole different culture. But if you were a person that is going to be up at at 5 or 6 or 7 and have to be at work at 8 or 9, then you definitely don't want to be having a late late dinner. You want to eat a, a bit earlier. Avoid caffeine late in the day as well. In fact, avoid drinking too many beverages of any kind at nighttime just because it's going to make you wake up and need to use the the restroom a bit more. And as for alcohol, even small amounts of alcohol can make it harder for you to stay asleep. What happens is it'll put you to sleep for a couple of hours and then about three hours after you have ingested the alcohol, it wakes you up and it's difficult to get back to sleep. Now, if for any reason that you can't sleep, don't toss and turn in your bed. It's so much better to get up and give yourself about 20-minute break and do whatever you feel you need to do, whether, you know, it's write a note down or, or you know, go into your kitchen and load the dishwasher or whatever it is, and then go back to bed. I know with me, if I'm working on a special project and my brain won't go to sleep, if I get up and I write down exactly what it is I need to do or I take care of something that's only going to take a minute or two, then I can just sleep like a log. So... That is an important thing to do is don't toss and turn. Always get up, take care of something, and then go back to sleep because if you're not sleepy, you're not going to get a good night's sleep. And when you go back to bed, you'll start feeling drowsy and feeling like that you have accomplished something. So hopefully that will help all of you get a better night's sleep and get the Z's that you need I'm looking here, I just have an email from uh, one of our listeners that wanted me to remind all the listeners of, um, of something that's on eBay, and I do want to uh, tell people that if you want to support Be The Star You Are and you're either a buyer or a seller on eBay, at the checkout when you're buying things, eBay now has a little box that says if you'd like to make a donation to a charity, 
click here, and you can give as little as a dollar or as much as what you want. So just pull down, be the star you are, and you can give a donation at checkout. <coughs> Excuse me. In addition, if you'd like to make a donation of any of the products you're selling, you can do that on eBay. And I want to thank Starla for this uh, email reminder. She is actually has the Good Earth store at eBay. Take a look at it. And she does donate a, pro, a portion of her proceeds to be the star you are. Well, thank you all for being great listeners and allowing Heather and I into your life each week. You are tuned in to Star Style, Be the Star You Are, and we hope that you will continue joining us and allowing us to be your personal growth coaches so that you can excel in life. You really can change your life. You can make your dreams come true. You can use the gifts that were given to you and celebrate your life. For more information about Star Style or to purchase any of my books and the new books, Be the Star You Are for Teens, please visit BeTheStarYouAre.com. That's BeTheStarYouAre.com. There's no that. Or call 925-377-STAR. We do take credit cards. May there be peace within you today. May you trust your highest power that you're exactly where you're meant to be. And know that my aim is always to encourage, inspire, inform, and motivate. Read a book this week. It is like a garden in your pocket. And until I celebrate with you next week, I'm Cynthia Bryan for Star Style, thanking you and encouraging you. Be the star you are. Thanks again for listening to Star Style, Be the Star You Are. For more information about Be the Star You Are Nonprofit Corporation, please visit BeTheStarYouAre.org. That's BeTheStarYouAre.org. Join Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany again next Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time, here on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Remember, to be a leader, you must be a reader. Enjoy a stellar week. You're a seeker.